Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. We are currently 26 days into the new year. We are 26 days into the new decade. That means it's been 26 days since most of us made our New Year's resolutions. How are you doing on them? Well, I'll tell you how most people are doing on them. And there, there are two groups of people when it comes to resolutions. There are the group of people that have done them before, they've done them so much, that at that point they're like, you know what, what's the point? I've made resolutions in the past and didn't keep them. I've made the exact same res- resolution the next year and didn't keep it. And so what's the point of making resolutions? I'm as good as I'm going to get and I'm happy with myself, so let me just be myself. But that's fine. Then there's the other group of people that they love the idea of a fresh start, of a chance to kind of remake yourself and restart something new in your life. And I, I'm, I'm kind of in that group. I like the idea of resolutions. I like the idea of a fresh start and starting over and, and getting new chances. I'm not very good at actually following through with them. I like making them. I can make them like a champ. I can't keep them for anything, but I like making them. It makes me feel good to make them. And last week, they finally released the top resolutions for 2020. The number, res- number one resolution was a brand new one. It has never been on the top 10 resolution list before. The number one resolution for 2020 was actually doing your resolution. <laughs> so the number one resolution people made was, let me try to keep my resolution. Uh, the next four were very common. Go to the gym, lose weight, be healthier, stay motivated. You know, gyms, they're packed in January. If you're a member of a gym in December or you're a regular member of a gym, you go in January 1st, man, it is slam-packed. By February, it's pretty much cleared out again. Most <clears throat> of people signed up, started a contract. And that's why gyms love that because you go in, you sign up, you sign a 12-month contract where they're taking the $50 out of, your, out of your bank account every month. You go for three or four weeks and never go back and you never cancel. And so they're getting your payment and you're not, not using their stuff. So they love January. But by February, the gyms have kind of emptied out. Uh, by the beginning, people are motivated to conquer their resolution. They're motivated to, to, to do what they've decided to do. They're devoted. They're focused on achieving their goal. 26 days in, and statistics show us that the majority of people quit following their resolution by January 10th. They were so focused. They were so dedicated. They were so devoted that they quit after 10 days. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at things that as a church, as believers, that we need to focus on. And these things are things that it's my prayer and it's God's will that we don't focus on just for 10 days and then give up on. 
It's not things that we should focus on just for a little while and say, well, that was, that was too hard, let's quit. These are things that as believers we should focus on every single day of our life. We saw that we need to focus on faith, on trusting God. We need to focus on seeking God. And last week we saw we need to focus on serving others. And we see these things in Acts chapter number 6. In Acts chapter 6, the, the church is growing rapidly and there's some, some issues that come up and some issues that arise. And so the church decides to focus on what matters. So look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 6, <coughs> starting in verse number 1. The Bible said, And in those days, when the number of the disciples multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministrations. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave uh, that we should it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over your business. Now, as I was reading this week and studying this week, I just I thought Man, I wish that I could be considered one of those seven men. But I don't know, I mean, I don't know if I would. Seven men who are full of the Holy Ghost. You know, I know I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, but too often I'm full of my flesh and my desires and my sinful nature and my, what I want to do that the Holy Spirit doesn't really, he's in there, but he don't have a whole lot of control. And, uh, you know, full of wisdom. I, you know, I like to think I've got wisdom, but I make way too many mistakes do too many stupid things to really say I have wisdom. But so here are these seven men. They're looking for seven men who are of honest report. They're, they're trustworthy. When people think of them, they think of just good, honorable men. They're full of the Holy Ghost. They're full of wisdom. And then he says in verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Portius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Farmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So we, we've seen last couple weeks here that this situation in the church was, was kind of the, what, the catalyst of the word of God going out and the church exploding. And so the church has been around for about six months now. Uh, they're having incredible growth. They started uh, way back in Acts chapter 1 with 120 people in the upper room praying for God to send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came in and dwelled them. And they went and they preached Pentecost. And, but just day after day, they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saved. Right now, they've gone from 120 to about 20,000 20, believers. And because of that, because of the work that's happening, because of the growth that's happening, their problems have come up. And the leaders, instead of saying, look, we're going we're gonna to fix these problems. We're going to deal with this. You know, I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, my, my pastor at the time, he said most of his job was as a, as a fireman. He was running around putting out these little fires all the time. And that's what the apostles could have done. They said, okay, well, we need to fix this problem. Okay, we need to fix this problem. But the thing is, when you, you dedicate yourself to, okay, we're going to fix this problem, and you dedicate yourself to problem solving, problems never stop coming. 
They're always, you fix one problem, guess what? Another one pops up. You fix that one, guess what? Another one pops up. You fix that one, that first one came up again. And so they decided, you know what, we're not going to waste our time. I'm not saying that, you know, we should just say, you know, if somebody has a problem, just say, tough. But they said, we can't focus on these problems. Because if we focus on these problems, that's all we're going to do. And if we're focused on the problems, that's all that's getting done, then the kingdom's not being built. So they said, instead of focusing on these problems, we're going to focus on things that matter. Not that we're going to ignore the problems. Not that we're going to say, you know, deal with it, grow up, be a man. The problems will be dealt with, but we need to focus on really what matters. And they said, we're going to focus on seeking God together. They're going to focus, they said, we're going to focus through prayer, corporate prayer, and, and studying the word, and preaching the word. We're going to focus on the word, on seeking God together. And then we're going to focus on serving each other. And look, the serving each other focus took care of a lot of the problems. Because the apostles got together and said, we're going, to, we're going to pray, we're going to set these men in charge, and we're going, to, we're going to pray for each other and love each other and serve each other. And as people started learning to serve each other, they would see a need. And instead of running to the church leadership and saying, hey, there's a problem, they would serve each other and help fix the problem. So the problem kind of took care of itself because they were following God. Because they were seeking God together, because they were loving each other and serving each other, these problems kind of took care of themselves. But there was another thing that happened because of that. Another thing they focused on and a result that happened. They focused on sharing the gospel and growing the church. And look, that's not just an overflow of the first two. These are things we can pick and choose. This isn't a list God's given us where God can say, you can focus on the word and praying, you can focus on serving each other, or you can focus on sharing the gospel and growing the church. He didn't say you can pick one or the other. It's as we do these things, these are the results of what happened. As they sought God, they began to serve each other. As they began to serve each other together, the word of God was spread and the church began to grow even faster. See, and this is a true story about true events that happened in the first century church. This is real people who had a real problem and found a real solution. 120 people in the upper room before the day of Pentecost praying for the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit comes and they are empowered and as we said, they, by this time, there's over 20,000 believers in the church in just six months. That is a 16,566% increase in six months. That is not incredible. That is miraculous. And that is only done through the Holy Spirit of God working through them. That's what happened by them seeking God, by them serving others, and then verse 7 happened. The word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Because they focused on the word, they saw the need to focus on serving each other. And after they focused on the word and focused on serving each other, they saw the need to focus on spreading the gospel and building the church. But here's the thing. This wasn't the 12 apostles doing this. You know, we, sometimes we think that. 
It's Peter and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Bartholomew. They're all out there knocking on doors, spreading the gospel, door-to-door soul winning, passing out tracts. They're doing all the work. And because they're doing all the work, man, the church is growing incredibly. No, no, no. They weren't doing the work. It was every single believer in the church working to see the kingdom of God built. Everyone was doing their part. If they were saved were doing what they had to do. The disciples kept growing. Here's what we need to understand. We are here worshiping this morning because this church, everyone in this church got on board and focused on what mattered. Because they decided to seek God and serve each other and spread the gospel, we are worshiping here this morning. If you're saved today, it's because this group of believers sought God served each other and shared the gospel. And that's why we need to focus on these things as a church. In verse 7, we see three things that are happening in this church because of their focus. Here's the first one. The gospel was being shared. The gospel was being shared. Look again at verse 7. And the word of God increased. Now, the Greek word for the for the the Greek word for word there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Greek word for the English word word word. It's a lot of word. Is oxano, and it means to cause to grow, to cause to increase, or to spread around. As Christians, our focus needs to be on sharing the gospel on spreading around the Word of God. Now, when we say Word of God, we typically think the Bible. You say Word of God, people think, oh, he's talking about the Bible. Here's the thing. There was no Bible here in Acts chapter 6. They were living the Bible. It'd be years before this was written down that we could call it Bible. So they're not spreading the Bible. They're not going out like the Gideons and passing out New Testaments everywhere. And they're not sharing, they're not spreading the gospel. They're sharing the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible kept growing, kept being spread. So what's the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus and his love for man, and the redemption of man. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it tells one story. It tells the story of God's love for man and how God loved man so much that he sent his only son to be born of a virgin and live a perfectly sinless life to show his love and prove himself as God through his works and his teachings and his miracles to be falsely accused and hung on a cross and die for my sins and for your sins to be placed in a borrowed tomb and be buried for three days and to rise again resurrected to redeem us to God the Father. That's the story of the Bible. And that's what they were spreading as they went out throughout the city. The church focused on sharing the gospel, on spreading the gospel. The the gospel, so what is the gospel and how do we share it? How do we spread it? Well, the the word gospel means good news. To understand the good news, you got to see the bad news. You only see bad news today, turn on the news. Everything's bad. Politics are bad. Crime's bad. Everything's bad. World's just bad. 
So there's no really good news. So, but that's not the bad news we're talking about. Here's the bad news. In Psalms chapter 14, the Bible says they were all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That right there is talking about everyone who's ever been born into this world. If you were ever born, raise your hand. Too many of you don't have your hands up. Maybe you're asleep. If you were born, you were born. And you were born into this world without doing any good. We were all born as sinners. And the Bible even says, there is none that do good. Not you. Certainly not your kids. And no matter what you think, not even your grandbabies do good. Your grandbabies are born not doing good. You don't believe me? Ask their parents. Here's the thing. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born sinners. One bad thing doesn't make you a sinner. You are a sinner because you are born a broken person into a broken world, and that is why you sin. Everyone who is born into this world is born controlled by sin. They are born spiritually dead and hopeless and helpless with no chance of changing anything. We needed someone to help free us. We needed someone to heal us. We needed someone to fix our heart. And that's where the good news comes in. Good news is found in Romans 5.8. But God. But God commendeth or God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God didn't show his love by making us get good enough to earn it. God said, you can never earn it, and I'm going to show my love to you when while you're undeserving, when you're still rejecting me, when you're still my enemy, when we are still opposed to each other, while you are still a sinner, condemned to hell, unworthy of anything, I am going to die in your place. Christ died on the cross, was dying in my place and your place to pay our sin debt. God said, without the shed of blood, there is no remission. That's what all the Old Testament sacrifices were about. They were to show us the need of our sin debt being paid. And we had to have perfect, sinless sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice goats and lambs and turtle doves and all these things. They would just cover their sin for a while. But God said, you want to take away your sin, a perfect, sinless sacrifice must die in your place. That's what Jesus did. That's why when John, when he came down to be baptized in John's psalm, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of everyone who deserves it. Is that what it says? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of most people. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died to take away your sin. He was buried and he rose again showing and proving that his sacrifice was accepted by God and we are redeemed to God. That is the good news. That's the good news that saves you. 
that you were a sinner condemned to hell, worthy of hell, deserving of hell, with no hope of escape. And God, because he loved you, not because you deserved it or earned it, because you never did, you never could, and you never will. But because he loves you, he came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a death in your place, shed his blood for you, was buried, and rose again to redeem you to God the Father. And all you had to do was put your faith and trust in his finished work on the cross. That's the good news that saved you. That's the good news that saves everybody. And that's the good news we're supposed to share. That's the good news we're supposed to share with everyone we can. As believers, too often we forget the gospel story that saved us. We take it for granted. And it's important to keep the gospel in front of you. To remember, here's what Tim Keller said. He said, the gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have, done, I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. We need to remember the gospel story and the power of it and the passion of it because that is the only message that heals. It heals from the damage of sin. It heals through the problems of life. The gospel is not how we begin the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life. He has given us grace for salvation and grace for living. And it is a gift, but it's not a gift we are to keep to ourselves. It is a gift that we are supposed to share. Look what Jesus said in Mark chapter number 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. He didn't say go into all the world and preach the gospel to those people you think will listen. Preach the gospel to those people you like. Preach the gospel to those people who have a good rapport with him because your job as a child of God is to share the gospel story with everyone. That isn't a hard command. It is a command to share the gift of the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can change lives. And we treat it like a secret. We treat it like it's a, it's a buried treasure other people have to dig to find. We are to share the gospel. And look... We've, we've been trying to give you opportunities to do that here. We're starting these, more, these canvassing times again where you can come out and you can help share the gospel. You say, oh, all we're doing is going out and hanging tracks on the door. It's more than you're doing right now, folks. Let's just get honest about it. It's more than I'm doing right now. You know, I've heard people say, oh, door-to-door, so when it doesn't work. Well, let's give it a shot. Look, I don't believe that going out and knocking on doors and seeing, you know, asking, you go into the room and start, I, I, I know it's a different culture. There are some Philippian jealous out there, but it's hard. I believe most salvations begin or come through relationships that are built. But you know how you build relationships? You talk to people. You meet people. You go out and maybe you were passing out flowers and you see somebody in the yard and you go talk to them and you invite them to church and they get to come and sit with you and you can hear, they can hear the gospel here and then maybe, hey, here's an idea. If they don't get saved, take them out to lunch. Share the gospel there with them. But share 
the gospel. So we're giving opportunities. Asking you to take five tracks and five door hangers a month. Five a month. And just pass them out where you go. And me and, me and John and David this week, we were at prayer advance and we were... We felt so bad because we went to lunch and had, we, we were talking to the waiter and having fun with the waiter and you know, the bills came, the checks came and none of us had a tract. Not a single one. I know. I know, Brother McCormick. I felt terrible. I'm like, man, here I am telling people take tracts out, hand them to waiters and I don't even have one on me myself. That's, we, we all need to do that. Have them on you. You never know when you're going to have the opportunity to share. So we've got tracks out there. We're going to get some more. Just take them and share them with people you see. Give them to your cashier. Give them to your waiter. Give them to people on the street. Hang out door hangers, inviting people to church. We are giving you opportunities to share the gospel because even you cannot find one person in the New Testament that had an encounter with Jesus and didn't immediately tell other people about it. Even people, even people Jesus healed and said, shh, don't tell nobody. They all said, okay. Hey, guess what happened? Even when Jesus said, shut up about it, they ignored him. You cannot have a true encounter with Jesus and not tell others. Because he, he is the only one that can heal and save us. And I've said that so many times. People are in your life for you to share the gospel with them. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. God put them there for you. Not me. For you to share the gospel with them. We must share the gospel. Not only was the gospel being shared. Number two, disciples were being made. Again, said, and the number of disciples multiplied. Disciple here is the Greek word matates. It means a learner or a pupil or a student. So as the gospel spread, the number of students of Jesus increased. So here's what that means. A disciple is a follower of Jesus growing in a relationship with God and other believers. As a church, we seek God together. We serve each other together. We share the, process, the gospel together. And in the process, we are making disciples together as we are becoming disciples. We grow in our relationship to God and help others grow in their relationship as well. Look what Jesus said, his last command before he, 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 he was ascended. He said in Matthew 28, and we all know this is a great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Now that phrase there when it says, and teach all nations, a phrase, and teach, in verse 19, is the Greek word matateo. Now remember, disciples, in Acts 6, was matates. This is matateo. This is the verb form of the noun disciple in, in Acts chapter 6. So Christ is telling us, as disciples, we are to make disciples. That's the main mission he gave us. That is the Great Commission. He didn't say make big churches. He didn't say have great music programs. 
He didn't say be morally superior to everyone around you. You know, we get so caught up on meaningful things that we miss the main thing. The main thing is to make disciples. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we start by teaching the gospel, by sharing the truth of salvation. How do I do that, preacher? Can I learn the Romans word of salvation? No, you read every time someone witnessed in the Bible, you know what they told people? How they met Jesus. That's all Paul did. Paul didn't say, let me take you down the Romans road. It's not written, written yet, but it'll be written in a couple years. It'll be printed later. I'm going to take you down the Romans road. Bible says, no, he goes, hey, one day I was walking down the road on the way to the mass. I was going to persecute some people. All of a sudden, got a bright light, knocked off the horse, and I met Jesus. And that's all. He just told people what happened to him. So I don't witness, preacher. Tell people what happened to you. And look, if you don't know what happened to you, come talk to me. I'll tell you what happened to me. Maybe it could happen to you too. But just tell people what happened to you. He says, share the truth of salvation. Then it said, baptize them. That is to lead them in a public profession of their decision. It doesn't save them, but it identifies them with Christ and the church. So here's, here's yes, baptism is a command, but here's what, Paul, here's what he's saying here. Tell people about the gospel, and when they accept me as their Savior, teach them not to be ashamed. There are too many Christians who are ashamed of being a Christian. We want to be undercut. Don't want people to know. Oh, if my family knows I'm a Christian, they're going to think less of me, and they're going to think I'm a, I'm a conservative, fox-loving, you know, neo-Republican. doesn't matter. Who cares what they think? He says, teach them the gospel. Teach them not to be ashamed. And he says, teach them to observe everything that Jesus taught you. Making a disciple is a teacher-student relationship. That is discipleship. It is leading someone to grow in their relationship with Christ as you grow in your relationship with Christ. It's more than just getting people saved and leaving them. That's important, getting them saved, but that's not all of it. Look what John Wesley said. He said, the church changes the world not by making converts, but making disciples. He said that in the 1700s. Hundreds of years before the big church movement set got going. He said the church impacts people by making disciples. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who impacts their community, who shares the mission of Jesus and abides in Christ. And we make disciples by being a disciple and bringing them along with us. This is what Paul said when he said, follow me even as I follow Christ. He said, I'm walking with God. I'm learning about God. I'm abiding in God. Just come with me and I'll, I'll, I'll teach you what, I, what I'm doing. And that's how we make disciples. You say, well, preacher, who can I disciple? Well, look, if you're a parent, you've got ready-made disciples in your home. God gave them to you for you to disciple, for you to teach them how to love God and walk with God and serve God and teach others how to walk with God and serve God and love God. If not, say, well, I don't have, I don't have any kids. Nobody's in my home. God still put people in your life for you to witness to and disciple. Paul was a disciple that made disciples by walking with Christ with them. But how, do you, how can we do that? Well, first of all, by being faithful to church. You can't be a disciple or make a disciple if you skip out every time you feel like it. By being faithful to community groups or Sunday school groups. 
showing up early and fellowship with people. When we have small group, being part of the small groups, by being part of sharing the mission of sharing the gospels and showing other people how to do it. By abiding in Christ, by, by reading your Bible, by praying to God, by walking with him. To make a disciple, you must be a disciple and you must do life with others. So you saw that the, the church was sharing the gospel. We saw they were making disciples. And then thirdly, we see that the church was growing. The church grew incredibly. It says the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. That's an incredible statement. Because before, remember the day of Pentecost? It says 3,000 people were what? Added to the church. You, your numbers grow a lot faster when you start multiplying you add, it's just add, add, you know, just adding. But you start multiplying, man, multiplication is explosive growth. People saw these, these believers, saw them seeking God, saw them serving each other, saw them spreading the gospel, saw them discipling other people, and they wanted to be a part of it. They realized that they didn't have the relationship with God that these believers did. And this is a picture of what happens when followers of Jesus act like followers of Jesus in their city, in their neighborhoods, in their workplace, and in their families. People see our lives and want what they don't have. And that is how we're going to change the world. It will not be changed through politics. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care if you vote for Trump. I don't care if you vote for Bernie, feel the burn, whatever you want to do, or Mike Bloomberg, God help us. I don't care who you vote for. They're not going to change anything. I don't care if you're, you're, you're a diehard Republican, man, Trump gets in and he gets 100% Republican Congress and he gets 100% Republican Senate. And man, they can change anything. It's not going to help the world. It's not going to change the world. The only thing that's going to change the world is God's people on God's mission building God's kingdom. That's it. It isn't through our programs. It's through God's people in his church seeking him, serving each other, sharing the gospel, and making disciples. It's through God's people living for God and walking with God. Because here's the thing, the same Holy Spirit that lived in these believers lives in us too. We don't have a different Holy Spirit. We don't have a Holy Spirit 2.0 that's not as powerful. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that they had, which means God can do the same thing in and through us that he did in and through them. But it's up to us to share the gospel, to make disciples, and to impact our community. And when we do that, the church will grow. But here's the thing. We are all responsible to do it. Wasn't the apostles building the church? It was the entire church. What that means is it is all of our responsibility to grow the church. So here's, here's a question I have for you. How many of y'all would love to see more people in this church? See these pews more full. I mean, honestly, put your hand. How many of y'all say, man, I want these pews full? Great. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? 
Are you praying about it or are you complaining about it? Look, okay, here's everyone who is under the age of 18, stand up. If you're under 18, stand up. <clears throat> How many of y'all, don't, don't stand up, princely. You ain't under 18. How many of y'all would love to see more people your age in this church? How many of y'all would love to see? How many of you invited this week? All right, y'all sit down. 18, 20 to 30 year old, stand up. I'm going to get all of you. 18 to 30 year old, stand up. All right, not as many as them. It's the hardest age group to reach. Hardest group to reach. How many of y'all would love to have more people in your age bracket in, in this church? What are you doing about it? I, I, I mean, seriously, are you inviting folks? Because I'll be honest with you, your friends are going to come to church a lot faster if you invite them than if I invite them. If I go to Matt's friends and say, hey, would you come to church? They're not going to come to church with me. But they might come with Matt if they like him. I don't know if they do or not. But y'all sit down. You know what we could do to get this age group in? Man, we could put up lights and have a party and all kinds of stuff. That's how other churches get it. Y'all want to do that? I don't want to do that. There are churches. I know Hedge is like, yeah. There are churches that have a lot of young people. But man, they, to me, it's just a show. Too many times the Word of God in me and preached, and I want the Word of God preached. So what else can we do, preacher? Can we have programs or stuff? No. If you're in that age bracket, you invite them. All right, 30 to 40-year-olds. Y'all stand up. Oh, come on, we got to have more 40-year-olds than that. There you go. All right, y'all liars. Come on, if you're 30 to 40, how many of y'all want people your age in this church? Are you inviting them? How many of you invited this week? All right, y'all can be seated. 40 to 50. Come on. 40 to 50. This is our second largest group. Wait a minute. You're older than him? Did not know that. Cradle robber over there. All right. How many of y'all want people your age in this church? Hey, here's some. How many of y'all know people your age that aren't in church? Have you invited them? What are you doing about it? Oh, y'all be seated. 60 and up, I'm going to make y'all stand. The same thing goes. You want people who are your, you want people your, because look, I hear it all the time. We don't have enough of this group. We don't have enough of that group. We don't have enough of that group. You know what? It's, 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 it's not just on me, folks. I'm to the point, I'll be honest with you, it ain't, I'm doing all I can. I'm, I'm going out. I'm passing out stuff. I'm, I'm witnessing the people. I'm doing my part. When are you going to do yours? It's all of our jobs. Every single one of us. So here's, here's my, I'm going to make a deal with you. If you don't want to work to build the church, fine. But shut up about it not growing. I'm sorry. I'm at that point now, folks. If you don't want to help grow it, don't complain about it. If you want to complain about it, great. Get out there and help us. Get out there and do your part. Get out there and work. If you have a problem, you have an issue, you have a question, here's what, don't go to, come to us. 
Say, hey, can we do this? Instead of complaining, we don't have this. How about saying, hey, can we do this? And I'll make you a promise. If you come to me with any missionary or any ministry idea, as long as it's not going to cost me a whole bunch of money or it's not wicked and weird, we'll do it, but you're heading it up. Because God laid it on your heart. You know why I don't run the community cupboard? Because God didn't lay it on my heart. He laid it on Harper's heart. So she came to me. Can we do, God led me. Can we do this? You're going to do it all? Have fun. I'll pray for thee. You, God leads you to do it. Do it. But it takes every member doing their part to build the church. And that's why I wanted all the kids here. Kids, I want you all to hear it too. You're not exempt from this because you're under 10. You're not exempt from this because every Sunday you get to go to children's church. You have to do it too. You have friends in school, I'm assuming. You might not. But then the man won't have friends, must show himself friendly. Poor, poor Alexis homeschooled here. She ain't got no friends in school. Not even her brothers are our friends. You got friends in gymnastics. Oh. Every one of us have the opportunity and the responsibility to do it. We all, and here's the thing. We all under agree with what I'm saying, right? Everybody agrees that the gospel should be spread, that we should love each other, serve each other, that the word should go out, that we should make disciples, that we should grow the church. We all agree that should happen, right? The problem comes when we agree with it, but we don't think it's our job. It's all of our job. Every single believer, it's your job. It's our job. Look, it's not just mine and job. Me and, me and John, we don't go out, and we're, we're going to start going out on Saturdays with y'all. We don't go out knocking on doors and canvassing because it's our job. We do it because we're church members and we're believers, and it's our responsibility. Same reason it's your responsibility. You know, we're going to start Saturday canvassing. You know what Saturday is for me and John? It's our day off. But you know why we're going to be here? Because we're not paid to do it. We're doing it because it's our ministry. It's our responsibility. As a believer, it's my duty to do this. So if you want more people like you in church, invite them. Witness to them. Disciple them. Don't sit around complaining they aren't coming when you've done nothing to bring them. Pray for them to come. Pray for opportunities to share with them. And then do it. Share the gospel and invite them to church. If you're not going to work to grow the church, don't complain about it. Great things were being done in the first century church because every single person in the church focused on what mattered to God, not what mattered to them. That did happen later on, and you'll see that in the book of Acts. They started focusing on what mattered to them, and it was bad. But right now, they're focused on what mattered to God. They sought God through the word and through prayer. They cared for each other through serving each other. They shared the word. They made disciples, and they changed the world. And God can do it, and God wants to do it through our church. But it will take every single one of us doing our part. It will take every single one of us taking tracks and inviting others to church. And look, I know some of you older folks are like, I can't go knocking on doors. 
you're right. You, you, maybe, maybe you are too physically. I, I get that. Some of you are physically able. You're not physically able. You can still take tracks and pass them out when you go to a restaurant because you go out. Get them to your doctor's office. You can do what Brother McCormick does when someone sends you junk mail, mail it back to them. Say, that don't work. You don't know that. Who knows how many telemarketers are going to be in heaven because Brother McCormick sent junk mail back with a tract in it. He's spreading the gospel. The Bible says the word of God won't return void. Something's happening. So that's just funny. He's doing more than most of us. Don't knock it till you try it. But every one of us can do our part. It will take all of us walking with God and personally inviting other people to walk with God with us. It will take all of us acting like followers of Christ.